This morning, we are finishing up our seven-week series on what we value. What are our values as a, as, as a church? What, what means the most to us and what kind of guides and directs us as a church? And here we are the last week, and our seventh value is generosity. Now, at Trinity, you've actually already heard this this morning in the announcement videos. When we talk about generosity, we talk about three things. We talk about our time, our talent, and our treasure, because generosity is about so much more than money. It's about how can we be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. A few weeks ago, I was talking about service, one of our values, and I said another way that we can be generous, three more words that start with the letter A, how can we be generous with the attention that we give to each other, being present with each other, the access that we offer to each other, letting them into our lives, and the assumptions that we make about each other. Instead of creating false narratives about other people's actions, how can we be generous with the assumptions we make about other people? So there's lots of ways to be generous. However, this morning, brace yourself, we're talking about money. And I know some of you are like, oh, you know, holiday weekend. I mean, this is a, I could have not come to church and nobody would have thought anything. And I come to church and pastor's talking about money. Well, listen, it's actually, I think, unwise and short-sighted if we completely avoid the topic of money for two reasons. One reason is so, much of the, so many of the issues in our lives, so much of the stress and worries in our lives, so many of the complexities of our lives are tied to money. But also, so much of Scripture is about money and stewardship. Some people believe that the Gospel of Luke, one of the central themes of the Gospel of Luke, is actually stewardship and finances. And there's one more reason why we should address the topic of money. Because whenever it's brought up in a room like this, things get tense. People grab tighter to their wallets and to their, and to their purses. And anytime there's something that makes people kind of tense up, then it's probably a topic worth talking about. It's just... It's too big of an issue, it's too pivotal of an issue, it's too, it's too sort of present of an issue to completely avoid. If I went to my doctors for my annual checkup and said, hey, um, I need you to you know, check me out and make sure I'm doing okay, but the one thing you cannot do is you can't take my blood pressure. You cannot know what my blood pressure number is. What would a good doctor say to you? Well, then I really can't help you. Certainly not the way that you need to be helped. I really can't treat you the way that I would like to treat you because I need to know that. I need to know all of that in order to serve you well. See, we can't be selective about what we give God access to in our lives. God, you can speak to me about this and this and this, but you can't talk to me about my money. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Now, having said all that, relax. It's not a shakedown. <laughs> At Trinity, we believe that people should give willingly not forced, not coerced, not manipulated. You're not going to get worked here. And that people should give cheerfully. It should be an act of worship, a joyful act of worship. So this morning's message is not about generating more financial giving. We're not in a crunch or anything like that. We are a very financially stable, blessed church. We've never really in the history of this church struggled financially because of the faithfulness of God expressed through the faithfulness of his people. So this isn't anything, has nothing to do with that. This message is about the same thing that every Sunday's message is about, which is this. What does God's word have to say to us in a way that will help us better love, follow, and serve Jesus 
in a very specific area of our lives. Now, I've spoken many times on generosity and giving and greed, but usually I speak from the New Testament passages, either the words of Jesus or the words of the Apostle Paul. This morning, we're going to go a slightly different direction. I want to go to Proverbs. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 11. And if you're new to the Bible and new to the Christian faith, Proverbs is part of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And Proverbs kind of reads like a Christian collection of Chinese fortune cookies, right? It's just like one little wisdom thought after another. But the Proverbs have so much to say about how we should live our lives. Now, a very important thought about the Proverbs before we jump in is this. Proverbs are principles, not promises. So sometimes we read the Proverbs as promises, and then we're disappointed because there's moments in life where it feels like it's not true. Proverbs are general principles of life, but they're not promises that are always true in every single circumstance. Sometimes the wicked do seem to prosper, right? But the general principles of the Proverbs are true. So we need to keep that in mind as we look at this text this morning. And there's three ideas I want us to consider this morning about money. And the first thing is this, that money will make for either a wonderful servant or a terrible master. Money will make for either a wonderful servant or a terrible master. Let's look at this, Proverbs 11, verses 24 through 26. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. So the one who's giving is actually growing. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters himself, or I'm sorry, the one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Three proverbs here, and in this passage, what we're seeing, 30,000 feet in the air, there's a clear connection between the choices that we make about our stuff, our money and our material possessions, and the life that we live, but even specifically the life that we live in community, because the choice to be generous or not be generous doesn't just affect you, it affects the people in your life. It affects the people in your community. Generosity is not just about you, it's about others. And money can be a wonderful servant. It can have powerful impact. Giving and living, verse 24, teaches us that giving and living generously, it fills our lives with blessings. Now, maybe it's, we're not teaching here that if you give a lot of money, God gives you a lot of money, okay? We don't teach that here. But how many of you have learned in life that there are blessings that are actually better than money? that are more important than money. There are things that wealthy people would pay any dollar amount to get that they've learned their money will not get for them. Peace of mind, rest for your souls. And so when it promises blessings here, I do believe that there are seasons and ways in which the Lord does bless his people financially, but the promise is not you're gonna get rich by giving. The promise is, is that if you live a generous life, that your life is gonna be full in ways that are even better than money. Verse 25 and 26 says that living generously towards those around you, it brings blessing into the relationships that you have in a community, that the community will recognize your generosity. It will give you influence and voice in that community. So money has a powerful impact. It, it can be a wonderful servant, but money can also be a terrible master. And one of the dangers of money and wealth is that it actually has the power to blind you to itself. One of the dangers of greed is that it has the power to blind you to itself. And we know this because in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people and he says, watch out, be on guard. Now, when someone says, watch out, be on guard, it means you won't see this coming, right? Watch out, be on guard. It reminds me of that 
poor bridge in Liverpool where we have so many signs saying, watch out, be on guard on the parkway, and yet, monthly, somebody cracks that thing. But we have these signs, and so they've put so many signs because of the history of people missing it. So when Jesus says, watch out, be on guard, here's what he's telling us. You're not gonna see this coming. And then what does he say? Watch out, be on guard for greed. If you know one person that's greedier than you, you won't think you're greedy. If you can think of people who money seems to have more power over them than you, you'll think money has no power over you. That's really the danger is that greed has the power to blind you to itself and to enslave you. See, money will lie to you. I want to I just look at a few lies that money tells. One of the things that money will lie and say is I can give you, speaking on money's behalf, that money can give you what you most need in life. If this was true, it would actually be very easy to prove. All we'd have to do is find the wealthiest people in the world, and there should be corresponding levels of greater happiness as they get wealthier. And yet research has shown that while having money certainly takes some stress off our plates, amen, it's okay to have money and to not have the stress of not knowing how you're going to live, while having money certainly can remove some stress from your life, research has shown that there's a cap in terms of how much money actually makes you happier. And once you hit a certain dollar amount, research has shown you don't get happier in incremental amounts as you get wealthier because money cannot buy you and give you what you need most. Again, peace for our mind, joy beyond circumstances, rest for our souls. Money doesn't free you, doesn't cause you to flourish in ways that matter. It actually enslaves you. It will become your master and it has no power to set you free. And if you believe that money can give you what you most need, then you'll become a stingy person. And you'll hoard and you'll hold all of your wealth and all of your possessions to yourself. Even things, listen, even things you don't actually need. Surplus. Verse, what verse was it? Verse 26 was interesting. It says, the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Now, I sort of felt like that proverb should say, a blessing is on the head of him who gives it away. But that's not even what the, the, see, what's interesting here is this isn't even about giving your stuff away. This is about simply being willing to sell what you have no need for. And when money has power over you like this and you think it will give you what you most need, you won't even sell at a fair price the things that you don't need. You'll hold on to all of them. And if you believe this sort of lie, even the good things of life will cause you to worry more and more. There's a parable in Luke chapter 12 connected to Jesus' warning on greed. He talks about a rich fool who has so much stuff. And here's what the rich fool says in verse 16 of Luke 12. It says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. It was a banner year. This guy got more produce than he was expecting. And he thought to himself, what am I gonna do? I have no place to store my crops. That's what the power of money will do to people. Instead of thinking, what a blessing. I have more than I need. I can give all this excess away he let his surplus become the source of his worry and his anxiety. And that's what money will do. Second lie money will tell you is that your money is all yours. Now, I understand there's a lot of hard workers in this church, a lot of hard-earned money, right? I get that. Some of you are underpaid. Who's underpaid in the room? Don't raise your hand. Some of you are, under, some of you are fairly paid. Some of you are probably overpaid, if we're being honest. But, but we're all, we all work for our money, right? Hard-earned money. But let me ask you this. Earned using what? What do you earn your money using? For some of you, you work in a space where you're using your mind and your intellect. Who gave you your mind? 
Who gave your intellect? Yes, you've worked hard. I understand. You've gone to school. You've gotten your education. You've studied. But your mental capacity to work and provide for your family or yourself, you didn't ultimately give that to yourself. That's a gift from God. Your physical capability to do labor, you didn't give yourself that ability. Not every person has that ability. You know that, right? That's a gift from God. And so the things that we use to earn the hard-earned money, and, and I'm glad that we do work for our money, the, the things that we use are all gifts from God. So our money ultimately is not ours. It's all a gift from God, and we are accountable to him for what we do with the blessings that he's given unto us. Another lie is this, that money only has power over the wealthy, that money is only an issue for people who have a lot of it. How many of you know well, let me say two things. First, if you're an American, you're already, compared to the rest of the world, wealthy. You know, maybe not compared to your neighbors or compared to your family or community, but compared to the rest of the world, if you live in America, you're wealthy. Much of the world lives on a couple dollars a day, right? So I'll say that. But also I want to say this. Money, you don't actually have to have money for money to have you. Um, there's a two-question test you can ask yourself to know how much power money still has over your heart. And it's this, number one, how do I feel about people who have more money than me? And number two, how do I feel about people who have less money than me? So how do we feel about rich people? How do you feel about rich people? Some people actually, they envy them. They look at their lives, they follow them on social media and they deify them and they worship them and they, they actually wanna be them and they wanna follow the path that they follow. They honor them, they hold them up and so they make a God out of them. But many people, if we're being honest, when they look at rich people, they actually, in some ways, they resent them. They're in some ways disdainful of them. Here's what we actually do. We create narratives around their wealth and we tell ourselves things like, well, yeah, they got a lot of money, but I bet they're actually pretty miserable. Yeah, they got a lot of money, but they probably cheated to get, oh, they probably started with a lot of money, or they got a lot of money, but they, right? What's your attitude towards people who have more money than you, more possessions than you? Secondly, what's your heart attitude towards people who would be considered poor, impoverished, socioeconomically, they're below you? Do you respect them? Do you expect to learn from them? Or do you look down your nose at them and think, well, I'm, I must be more educated than them. I must have worked harder than them. So these two questions will reveal how much power money still has over our hearts. You don't need to have money for money to have you. Money is either a wonderful servant, it can be a blessing to you and to others, or it's a terrible master. It will tie you up and enslave you. Second principle this morning from this passage is this. Our spending and our saving reveal what we are seeking, okay? Our spending and our saving reveal what we are seeking. I do a fair amount of premarital counseling, and I have this um, online assessment that I always ask the couples to take. They take this assessment, they fill it out, it generates a personalized report, and then we use that report uh, to have our premarital counseling sessions. It's a very helpful resource. And one of the things that the assessment deals with is our attitudes towards finances and how we handle our finances. And I've probably used this premarital counseling uh, resource on maybe I would say two dozen couples by now. And out of the two dozen times, only once has the report generated that they are both either a spender or they're both either, either a saver. It always generates one is a spender <laughs> and one is a saver. 
And don't, don't look at your spouse right now and tell them which one they are, but you know, right? It's like in God's sense of humor, he takes spenders and savers, makes them fall in love with each other, and then drive each other crazy for the rest of their lives. You know who you are. Cards on the table, you're looking at a spender. You're looking at a, you're looking at a spender. My poor wife, Erin, is scrounging around trying to save because I'm spending everything, right? Spender, saver. Now, the funny thing is, is both types of people look at each other like, like they're wrong. Right, so the spender says, I'm wise. I'm sorry, the saver says, I'm wise, and I'm thoughtful, and I'm controlled. And the saver says, I'm, I'm free. I enjoy life, and, and you only live once, right? So you got YOLO over here, you got FOMO over here, and so you got your savers, and you got, you got your spenders. And what we're going to see is that whether you're a spender or whether you're a saver, underneath it is you're seeking something. So let's go back to the passage, verse 27, the next verse. It says, whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who seeks or searches for it. Now, this almost feels like the the topic has changed, yet we're going to see that the next verse is still about money, and the previous three verses are about, about money. This is actually not a change in topic. The commentaries say that this verse is actually a summary of the previous three, and what it's teaching us is this, that the way that we handle our monies and, and whether or not we're generous is attached directly to whether or not we're seeking good or we're seeking evil. Now, when you and I think of seeking evil, we think of like seeking after bad things, but that's not what they're saying here. It's not what you seek after that makes it evil, it's how much you seek after it. It's the amount of seeking, it's the power that that seeking has over you. So there are good things that we seek, but if we seek them in an out of order sort of way, if they have inordinate control over our emotions and our lives and our well-being, then it actually becomes evil, even if we think we're seeking a good or a benign thing. Let me explain. Spenders often spend, and I can relate to this again because this, this is my lane. Spenders often spend because what they're really seeking is significance uh, or status or importance or an experience or, or some sort of sense of value. So you spend, and because you can go to nicer restaurants and buy a, a bigger home and drive a newer car and wear a certain brand and go on a type of vacation, you know, you, you, and of course, none of those things inherently are wrong, hear me, but when those things become the things I have to have, when I'm seeking those things above all things else and I'm looking to those things to give me significance, then actually there's a danger that my seeking can become evil. On the other side of the coin is this, savers. Why do people save? And often, savers are not seeking significance, they're seeking security. Um, control, certainty in an uncertain world, comfort, knowing there's X amount of dollars in the bank account. So you have spenders seeking significance, you have savers seeking security, but here's what we have to see. Underneath both spending and saving can be a heart that is seeking for something horizontally that can only be found vertically. We're looking to a big bank account, a rainy day account, or we're looking to our next Amazon purchase to give us what Christ has actually already given us, significance and security in his work on the cross. And the Bible says that when you begin to seek these things too much, it's actually evil. It becomes evil. It's evil to you. 
and it's evil to others because it begins to steal away your generosity and you can't bless people. What we seek most determines how we live and how we love. And that's why Jesus in Matthew 6.33 said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. But we tend to seek all these other things and kind of hope we get the kingdom thrown in. And Jesus is teaching us there, you got to seek first the kingdom because what you seek reveals what you treasure, what you really trust in. And our spending and our saving reveals what we are seeking. So as we wrap up here, where do we find our significance and security if it's not found in stuff, if it's not found in another purchase or more money in the bank account? And this is my last thought. I'm going to ask Pastor, Pastor Antonia to join me. Here it is. The blessing that we receive is found in the trust that we will give. So there's a blessing that you and I need, but where it's found is in the trust that we will give. I'm going to explain this. Let's look at the last verse this morning, verse 28. It says this. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. This is a metaphor from nature, of course. This idea of those who trust in their riches falling speaks of a dead leaf falling off of a branch to the ground, that there's no life and that their end is near. But the righteous flourishing like a green leaf speaks of incredible life and purpose, that the leaf is supposed to be green and it's supposed to function that way and fulfillment. So this word trust in this verse, whoever trusts, speaks of who do we, what or who do we build our life's foundation on? Who or what do I look to for meaning and purpose in life? Where do I get my sense of self? Is my identity wrapped up in a logo on a shirt or a brand on a car? Is my sense of identity wrapped up in a dollar amount in a bank account or set aside in a 401? It, where is my identity really resting? Who do I trust? Who do I trust? And then the second word that I want us to see is this idea that the righteous will flourish. Flourish speaks of great life, abundant life. To be a green leaf is life, purpose, fulfillment, significance, and security. Here's what I'm saying. This, to flourish like a green leaf, this is the blessing that we all need. This is the blessing that we all need. And this is the blessing that we will never receive as long as we give our trust to money and wealth and material possessions. Sometimes we think, well, God needs me to give my money away or the church needs me to give my money away. God's not after your money. God's after your heart, of course, right? But I want you to hear this this morning. I don't need you to give your money away. The church doesn't need you to give your money away. You know who needs you to give your money away? You need you to give your money away. Because the only thing that has power over you are the things you won't give away are things you won't let go of. Now, the Lord has to speak to you about what that looks like, how much you're going to give, how regularly you're going to give. That's a whole other conversation. And the Bible speaks to that too, but that's not my point this morning. My point this morning is that generous living will be seen in the way that we give. What we do with our treasure reveals who or what we really trust. And so the way forward in this, by the way, the way to be more generous is we have to see that there's a greater treasure than money. There's a greater beauty than the good American life. There's a deeper truth than, 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 you know, look out for number one. There's a better story than the American dream. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, Paul is writing to a bunch of churches about another church. There's a church in Jerusalem. They're going through a famine. They have a lot of need. Paul writes to a church in Corinth in Asia Minor. They don't know these people in Jerusalem. They've never met them, and they probably never will. But they have a need. 
And so Paul says to them, I want you to give towards this need. What I love is that Paul doesn't try to twist their arm. He doesn't coerce them. He doesn't make them feel crummy that they have money, right? It's none of that. What he says is this, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, look at this. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, the riches of heaven, though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. Why? So that you, through his poverty, may become rich. This is the gospel in a nutshell, that Jesus, who was rich, became poor for your sake so that through his poverty, the poverty of his life and his death, that you and I might have the riches of God's love, the significance of knowing that we are a son or daughter of God, the security of knowing that we are in the hands of a father who will not let us go, sealed by the Spirit for the day of redemption. So while everyone else runs around the world looking for significance in a brand or in a purchase and security in a dollar amount, Christians can stand in the midst of it and radically give everything away because our significance and security was established by the work at the cross by Jesus. Jesus lost all his treasure to make you his treasure. And that's the motivation for generosity. We remember his work and we become generous people. Our hearts get wide open, our homes get open, our hands get open, and we give in ways that will cause people to look at us and go, what made them so generous? Church historians say that the reason why the Christian faith grew so quickly, of course it was the sovereign work of God and the Holy Spirit, but one of the things that church historians point to is the radical, unexplainable generosity of early Christians. The people who were not Christians said, I don't know what they got inside of them to make them so generous, but I need to know more. What would it be like for your neighbors to come and say, I just gotta understand, how, why are you so generous? your family and your friends to say, there's, there's a reason you're generous and I don't know that reason. Believing that the Lord can use that. The generosity that we are called to is provided to us through the generosity that we've experienced. The grace of God extended to us in the person and work of Jesus. Let's pray together this morning.